What happened after Easter? That's what the message title is today. What happened after Easter? We just had Easter last week. And uh, some of us had Easter eggs, Easter bunnies. I got given one of them big lint chocolate Easter bunnies and I always love biting off the head first. I don't know what that says about me, but... <laughs> and, uh, but we just had Easter and a lot of us know that we were there. And my personal conviction is that no one in the world is going to take Easter serious if believers don't take it serious. So obviously we are committed to building the Easter Sunday, Easter weekend. I love that we had Good Friday um, where we were able to add value to our city. I love that we were able to uh, celebrate with water baptisms and really just house parties and really celebrating life because that's really what Christ has given us the opportunity to do. Then we had a great Easter Sunday, um, just really just a great weekend. Um, and then we had, I believe, just one of the great blessings of being a part of a community is Monday we got to do life together. And a lot of churches, they go to church, they have the service, they sing the songs, they maybe take communion, they hear the message and they go home. And for me, I've never been attracted to that, never been interested in that. I want to know more. I want to know that I can do life together. I'll tell you now, I know a lot of people that uh, they don't make the distance by just going to church. It's can you make friends? Can it become family? Can it be more than just, you know, a a religious duty? Because you won't last if it's just religion. Religion doesn't transform lives. It just keeps you trapped in a system where you never feel like you're good enough and you never feel like you measure up and you go through all the, the rituals. And I tell you now, uh, there's nothing wrong with rituals in life or ceremony in life, but you can't have all of ceremony. Life is not supposed to be all ceremony. It's not supposed to be all rituals. There's moments where you have these things. Life is about relationship. And Jesus came to give us the greatest relationship you and I could ever have. And so that's what we're doing here. So I want to talk to you today about what happened after Easter. What happened after the resurrection? Crazy things happened when Jesus rose again. When He committed His Spirit unto His Father's hands. Literally, the Bible says the temple, they had a temple in Jerusalem. And basically, there was a curtain that was so thick and so high and so wide. Literally, it was torn from the top to the bottom. And it was ripped in half by no human hands. And it freaked people out. The Bible says this also, that people that had died were risen from the dead and went to visit their loved ones in the city of Jerusalem. Talk about a zombie attack. Imagine that. You just buried Uncle Sam and poop, he's out of the ground. Hello. You should read your Bible. It is fascinating after the resurrection. Yeah, wow. Now we're getting a wow. Oh, it's so boring. It ain't boring. There's some amazing parts in this Bible. But what happened after Easter? What happened after the resurrection? I just celebrated 50 and uh, we moved to Berlin when I was 40. So the number 40 and the number 50 seems to be a bit close to home for me right now. But the number 40 has always been a big number in the Bible. And so 40 days after the resurrection, 50 days is what we define in our culture, in our part of the world, Pentecost. It's where the Spirit got poured out. Some of the people celebrate it as the birthday of the church. It's where the church got started. And I'm going to start from there today. Is that okay? But 40 days. What happened in 40 days after Jesus rose from the dead? Is there anything the Bible says about it? 
Is there anything interesting? Well, obviously, Matthew covers some of it. Luke covers some of it. And John covers some of it. So there's plenty of perspective in the Bible if you want to know what happened after 40 days, in the 40 days after Jesus rose from the dead. He hung out with a few people. So let me read some verses for you. Is that okay? So what happened after Easter? Acts chapter 1, the first book I wrote, this is Luke, Dr. Luke, academic Luke, historian Luke. The first book I wrote, which is known as the Gospel of Luke, he wrote about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven. Before this, with the help of the Holy Spirit, Jesus told the apostles he had chosen uh, what they should do. After his death, he showed himself, after his death, he showed himself to them and proved in many ways that he was alive. The apostles saw Jesus during the 40 days after he was raised from the dead. And he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was sitting eating with them, Imagine that. You've just died for the sins of the world. You've just taken care of the greatest problem that humanity has ever known. And you hang around for 40 days to have fish burgers with the disciples. It's kind of funny. This is mythology. Mythology doesn't put fish burgers in the story. It doesn't put times and numbers and dates like this. This is historical documents credible documents that is captured for us. Once he was eating with them and he told them not to leave Jerusalem, he said, wait till you receive the promise from the Father, which I told you about. John baptized people with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And that's where the 50 days comes into. Or if you, I, am not, I haven't got time to explain all of this because all of the days came out of the Jewish Sabbaths, the Jewish festivals, the Jewish celebrations. And there's not enough time to go into all of that today. But midweek on a large learning, we can look at all of that stuff so you can connect the dots in the Bible and you can see that everything is consistent. But this is where he basically says the Holy Spirit will be poured out. So let's move to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says this, the first thing, this is Paul now writing to, uh, writing back a letter that he received from the Corinthian church. He says this, the first thing I did was place before you what was placed so clearly before me, that the Messiah died for our sins, exactly as the scripture tells it, that he was buried, that he was raised from the dead on the third day. And again, exactly as the scripture says it, that he presented himself alive to Peter, then to the closest followers, and later to then 500 of his followers, all at the same time, most of them still around, although a few have died. And then he spent time with James and the rest of those he commissioned to represent him. And that he finally presented himself alive to me. He, it was fitting that I bring up I was brought up on the rear. I don't deserve to be included in that inner circle, as you well know, having spent all those early years trying my best to stamp out God's church right out of existence. So this is Paul basically saying, hey, I am an apostle, but I'm the least of all the apostles. I came in later and I kind of feel like I'm the worst because I was the guy that was trying to destroy the church. Imagine that. Imagine that. You were such an enemy to the church and then God just gets a hold of you and turns you around to be one of the greatest blessings of the church in Jesus' name. Well, these are what the Bible teaches us. And I really want to encourage you to really understand what happened after Easter. Jesus appeared to those that were closest to Him. And we get the mention of the men here, 
because of the ancient text, but it, women were the first one to see the empty tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, all of these people. So there's a whole lot of people that saw Jesus. So what did he do for 40 days? Well, he ate with them. I think that's funny, isn't it? Didn't set up a kingdom in terms of he had a kingdom, but he was eating with them. Again, God is a relational God. God is a relational God. We've turned it into something ceremony, but God always meant it to be relational. And you can see it the first 40 days, you get an indicator of what's important to God. He took time to be with them and he ate with them and he enjoyed food with them. And he talked to them about many things to do with the kingdom. He explained that he was in the Bible. In every book of the Bible, he explained and he talked to them about where he, he, all the law is fulfilled through him and how all of the festivals pointed to him. He explained all of these things. So the first 40 days, you talk about a, a, a theology school, a Bible school or an input, a crash course on Bibles for dummies kind of school. I mean, they just got it in the first 40 days. He was alive and he was active and he was perspective and there was input and there was revelation and there was insight. That was the foundation of what happened next. And so he revealed who he was. You imagine if everyone wants to make this a big hoax. The truth is what would make all these people, they were looking for political redemption and they got spiritual redemption. They realized after 40 days, this was not a political Messiah. This was a spiritual Messiah. They realized that his kingdom was not necessarily tangible, touchable. It was a spiritual kingdom. And we got to understand the tension there. So what does he do in the first 40 days? He sets them up for a win. He gives them enough to go forward. He put such a conviction in them that they had boldness where they would stand against the law courts of Rome. What has Europe been built on? There's three things that have predominantly shaped what we and I, you and I enjoy today. The Roman law is still foundational to a lot of our society. Civil law came out of the Roman setup. And we still have a part of that, a part of that infrastructure is what we've built Western Europe or Europe has been built on. We have the, the Greek philosophy. A lot of our universities are spout and, and still glean from the philosophy um, from Greece. And yet we so often deny the very foundation of Christianity is what brought us so much that we take for granted today. And so let me just build into this. What happened after Easter? They had an encounter with God. They got over their, their fears. They got over their inhibitions. They got over their agenda of political redemption and started to realise it was much bigger. There was a much bigger plan at stake here. And they started to realise that God, through His wisdom, was going to work in a different way. And so they started to hang out with Jesus and to get revelation that became the foundation that you and I enjoy today. And so what I want you to understand is, let's go now to Acts chapter 2, which is where the church begins to become the church. The Spirit of God is poured out. They wait in Jerusalem. What happened after Easter? They got fired up. They got revelation. They got a perspective that made them someone that was unstoppable. Something had to happen. The might of Rome didn't scare them. The spears of the Roman soldiers didn't scare them. The fear of being chucked in a jail didn't scare them. The fear of being beaten and, and mocked and robbed and spat upon. What kind of people were they? Have you ever hung out with someone and you feel better? Yeah. Bigger? Yeah. Better? Stronger? Yeah. 
Have you ever felt with, have you hang out with someone and you feel worse? Yeah. Terrible? Yeah. Have you ever helped hang out with someone and you feel like you're just a loser? Yeah. See, gifted people often are hard to be around because they learn to live off their gift. They present their gift. Their identity is connected to their gift. If you're not gifted and you hang out with gifted people, you can feel very insecure. Anyone know what I'm talking about? When you get around Jesus, you don't get weaker, you get stronger. When you get around Jesus, you get bolder, not quieter. Your culture might slow you down, but not the presence of Jesus. At the end of the day, have you met Jesus? Have you an encounter with His Spirit? Has His goodness and His kindness shaped you and molded you? Because this is what started the church. They, they were ordinary people, but they'd been with Jesus. They were ordinary people, but they'd been with Jesus. And that's what is still the secret to the church today. Though we are ordinary people, we have been with Jesus. So let's read on it. Acts 2, 42. This is what it says. It says, All the believers devoted themselves, placed value to the apostles' teaching input and to fellowship involvement and to sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper and prayer, focus. A deep sense of awe came over all of them and the apostles performed many miracles and wonders, expectation. All the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had, common purpose. They sold their property and possessions and shared their money with those in need, contribution. They worshiped together in the temple each day and they met in homes for the Lord's Supper, consistency. And they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, hospitality, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people, favor. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved, increase. So let me just perspective, bring this back. What happened here? After 40 days, Jesus spent time bringing perspective, bringing revelation, reassuring them. Something happened in them 40 days that I believe is something that we forget. So powerful that we just go so often into the other parts. But this was the foundation that set the rest up. It's amazing how your foundation sets the tone for everything else. And so I want you to understand what happened next is this. Is this is how the church started. The believers placed value on the house of God and on the Word of God and meeting together. They received input. They got involved. They stayed focused. They had expectation. They shared a common purpose. They willingly contributed. They stayed consistent. They showed hospitality, enjoyed favor, and they saw increase. And so I want you to understand here is that there is no difference from us in the 21st century. We can make excuses all we want, which is not wise. And it's not godly and it's not honoring to God. We have a very diverse culture, yes. We have a very interesting, but they had it way worse than we had it. Because for them to say yes to Jesus was considered high treason because they were under the occupation of Roman Caesars. And there was only one Caesar. And Caesar didn't like to share any other Caesar with any other Caesar. He was like, I want to be the only Caesar. And so when they started talking about Jesus, their Lord... That's what they were killed for more times than anything because it was basically high treason. And sick Roman law, civil law, backed them up and that's why a lot of them lost their lives. So what I want you to understand here is, is this is what happened to the believers. See, what I'm trying to say is, is that they were under pressure. My challenge, your challenge, our challenge today is 
What pressure are we under? Well, it's a sunny day and it doesn't come out much in Berlin. Think about it. What, what holds us back? What is going to keep us fired up? What is it that's going to motivate us? What is going to keep us going for it and not being so easily distracted? What tension does that bring to our thinking? And that's the challenge we have in front of us. Let me read Acts chapter 4 because they went from Acts chapter 2 where they united around a common purpose. But what happened in Acts chapter 4 is amazing. Acts chapter 4, 32, it says, All the believers were in one mind and one heart. Selfishness was not a part of their community, for they shared everything they had with one another. The apostles gave powerful testimonies about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great measures of grace rested upon them all. Some who owned houses or land sold them and brought the proceeds before the apostles to distribute those without. Not a single person among them was needy. No, it didn't say, and they had a goal that there would not be a needy person amongst them. It wasn't a goal. It was a reality. Oh, it gets worse. Let me read the next one. Acts chapter 11. Meanwhile, all the believers who fled from Jerusalem during the persecution after Stephen's death travelled as far as Thessalonica, uh, Cyprus and Antioch, spreading the good news, but only to the Jews. However, some of the believers who went from Antioch and Cyprus and Cyrene, uh, they gave the message about the Lord Jesus to some of the Greeks. And the Lord honoured this effort so there was large numbers of Gentiles became believers. Verse 24, Barnabas was a kind and encouraging person and he was sent to help the believers, full of the Holy Spirit, strong in faith. As a result, large numbers of people were added to the Lord. So this is what I want to just maybe present to you today. That's why we come to the house of God, to learn from the wisdom of the Word, to receive input, to be together to celebrate the wonderful name of Jesus. You know, when you stop growing, it's usually a good sign that you've stopped thanking God. A thanking person is a growing person. You know, if if you're a thankful person, I guarantee you'll be a growing person. I've never seen a person that is growing who is not thankful. And so whatever it is today, you can thank God for just being alive. Thank God that He provided salvation for your, you and your family and, and for your future and the promise of God. But this is what I want you to understand. 40 days after the resurrection, they had an encounter with Jesus so strong, so relational, so tangible and so touchable that it set something in them that we, our 20, 21st century believers, are still benefiting from. They set something in motion. The 40 days is because He ascended. It's called the ascension of Christ. It's where the believers were looking into the heavens and the angel said to them, what are you looking for? And they said, He's gone. And the same way He left, He will come back again. In other words, that was the time frame for the church. So I want you to know what the 40 days represent. It's a commissioning. It's a, hey, this is what I've done for you now. Now get on with it. I know it's a loose translation, but... Jesus would have said it a lot more dignified, a lot more, you know, sophisticated. But let's just get on with it. And I want you to understand that's what we do after Easter. We get on with it. We get on with it because we have so much revealed. They didn't have the written Word of God. They just had Jesus saying, this is what the Torah meant. This is what the festival meant. This is what the Sabbath meant. He spent 40 days letting them know everything that they've been foundational in their lives. He said, this points to me. And they had enough to get on with. 
And they went on and they went from strength to strength with all the adversity. So what happened after the 40 days? A whole lot. So they started meeting together around a common purpose. They started getting on the same page with each other and considered everything they had was something for the kingdom and for the Lord. And then it says this, that there was no unmet need amongst them. In other words, they actually didn't just hear it. They actually lived what they heard. And there's something powerful here. It says in Acts chapter 11, as a result, a large number of people were added to the Lord. So listen to me. I'm just giving you Bible today. You can get every Bible verse. You don't have to believe me just because I'm saying it because I'm the pastor. Read it because the Word of God reveals it. And I'll tell you what it is. It's a measurement for the church today. If they did it, so can we. Because nothing's changed. The church still has a time frame. So if I can summarize it into three things, three things for you and I. The first thing is, imagine what would happen today if everyone in the church was a soul winner. What's a soul winner? Someone who brings people to Christ. Well, I'm not an evangelist. Maybe you're not, but you're a child of God. And all of us have been given the ministry of reconciliation. But the role of the, the believer is to believe. And so what happened 40 days after Jesus? Well, He spent time with them and He put perspective into them and He gave them insight and revelation. So after that, they get to the 50-day mark, which is basically uh, the Pentecost. It's where the Spirit is poured out. They allow the Holy Spirit to fill their lives. And what happens is they spill out onto the streets, speaking the mysteries of God in their mother tongue, in their language. And at that time, because of the festivals and all of the times of that culture, there was many people from all over the world in that city at that time hearing the mysteries and the wonders of God in their own language. If everyone was a soul winner, if everyone was willing to allow Jesus to use you to bring someone to Christ, if everyone in this room just said, one, in the next 12 months, I'm just going to allow God to use me to bring someone to Christ. The Bible says they went out everywhere they went. Some of them went to the Greeks. For a Jew to break out the out of the Jews went to Jews, but some of the Jews went to the Greeks. I love that. And God blessed it and honored the work and their commitment to it. But what I want you to understand, see it for yourself. After the 40 days, something happened in them. Something so powerful, so strong, so reassuring that you could not stop them. And they went into Acts chapter 2 and they united around the right things around the work of Jesus. They met together. They took everything and they said, hey, it's to the glory of God. They get into Acts chapter four and they somehow have themselves on one page going in the same direction. They haven't learned to argue about this and that and everything else. That came years and years and years and decades and decades later. And then you get Acts chapter 11 and the Lord honoured their work and multitudes and multitudes and multitudes came to faith. But imagine if everyone in the 21st century just decided to become a soul winner. Second thought is, what happens if everyone just decided to care? Just decided to care. Well, what happens if everyone's bringing people to Christ? How are you going to look after them? Well, if, you're, if they come because of you and you look after them, it's easy. If you look after those that come through you, it's your job to care. In other words, the caring is easy if everybody understands we're all responsible. What happens if you just cared for the person behind you, in front of you, next to you? Well, listen, I understand the because that's cultural. What are you so fearful of? 
When are we going to get Jesus big enough in your life where you're not scared? You're going to step out into the unknown. If everyone was a soul winner, if everyone cared, and the third thing is everyone contributed. We have major problems if we just go, yeah, whatever, that sounds good. We have major problems. And I haven't come to build a church to entertain the saints. I haven't come to just make you feel nice about yourself. The truth is, I'm not trying to make you not feel nice about yourself. Truth is, I'm going to proclaim truth. I'm going to say, this is our story. All it takes is people who willingly get over themselves and say, you know what? It's not about me. It's about His will, not my will. And I'll tell you, one of the greatest things is that we are believers that have received eternal salvation and yet we live the rest of our day selfish. Selfish is one of the great things that is slowing the church down. He's Lord. Make Him Lord again. Everything that I have. I've got a nice home, but I don't want anyone to spill coffee on the floor. Think about what you're saying. I've prayed for this apartment and now I don't want anyone to ruin it. There's so many things we could think about when it comes to this. But one thing that you cannot deny, it says this, there was no unmet need amongst them. Well, how many needs in our room today? How many need an apartment? How many need a bike? How many need forgiveness? How, How many need reassuring? What I'm trying to say is every need that you and I could ever want is in this room. This place is filled with God and all the potential to meet every single need. But why is we leave this place needy? And all I'm trying to say is that it's so close, it's almost embarrassing. So imagine if everyone was a soul winner. Well, how would we take care of all them new people? Well, easy if everyone cares. Oh, I've got to work late tonight, but you know what? I'll be out tomorrow. If your heart's in it, you'll figure out the time. Ah, oh, this baby's coming to our life. How much time is it going to take? Everything. <laughs> All I'm trying to say is, is these are the mindsets that need to be challenged. These are the things that have slowed down the church in Europe. These are the things that we've got to be willing to confront and say, you know what? No point celebrating Easter. Let's build the kind of church where there's an aspiration to be a soul winner. What does that mean? It just means that God's going to use you to bring someone who's lost home. Your uniqueness, your unusual personality, He's going to use you. Imagine if we all care. I I don't want to build a church where we just have a care department. It's just not right. We've got no message for the world. Everybody cares. And imagine a church where everyone contributes. Contribution is not just money, by the way. Sometimes it's involvement. Sometimes it's I've got things available. I don't know, but contribution is a lot broader than what you could imagine. But imagine what the church would look like if everyone contributed, if everybody was committed to winning the lost, and if everyone was committed to caring for each other. 